I'm Taryn Ward. And I'm Stephen Jones. And this is Breaking the Feed, Social Media Beyond the Headlines. We're taking a closer look at the core issues around social media, including the existing social media landscape, to better understand the role social media plays in our everyday lives and its impact on society. This time, we're taking a look back before the rise of social media, the internet, or even personal computing, into the deep mists of the dawn of time and how primitive humans from the 20th century use shortwave, hand radios, and citizen band radios to reach out and communicate with one another. This segment arose because even though we're very focused on social media and where we're going, during prep for one of our other podcasts, we touched on the fact that decades before there were personal computers, there was a very active amateur radio community that talked to other operators they would never meet or even see. And that struck a chord with both of us, and it seemed linked to our need for social media and a connection more broadly. Again, we'll start with a question. What was amateur radio all about, and why were people willing to spend hundreds of pounds and hours of their time But Steve, since we're talking about things from the dim and distant past, and I am far too young to remember any of that, what was your involvement with amateur radio? Thanks for that, Taryn. The first amateur wireless license in the UK was issued in 1913, so that was before even my time. In fact, my grandparents were six and five years old at the time. But the BBC World Service broadcast on shortwave from 1932, and I believe it is using shortwave radio again in the broadcast to the Ukraine and Russia, because these other ways of broadcasting were blocked. But back in the 1980s, I was in the Air Training Corps, now the Royal Air Force Cadets, and we did use both VHF and shortwave radios. And I have to say, despite what people might think, it was quite a lot of fun. There are apparently still around 75,000 amateur radio enthusiasts in the UK. And whilst I was preparing for this episode, I found out that during the pandemic, there was a resurgence in amateur radio use. Even in the early 80s, and even in a relatively nerdy youth organisation like the Air Training Corps, radio operating was seen as nerdy. But you know me, and you know that I am a proud nerd. We would use VHF radios to communicate between air training corps squadrons and even with senior officers who would use their cars to visit multiple locations in the evening and would have a radio, you know, just in their car. The first mobile telephone call in the UK was apparently made on the 1st of January 1985. So, and these radios were not small. For for context, Band-Aid's Do They Know It Christmas was number one. Um, (laughs) And... Uh, and so that, that sort of dates when the first uh, mobile call was made. And it was years before mobile phones became wide available. So being able to communicate using these radios between different places during the evening and, and even to people actually on the move was was really cool. That's really interesting. So, you know, we, we're talking about these radios and then we're talking about cell phones. Can you tell us a little bit about how cell phones replaced this and how maybe they didn't? Because this wasn't just about communicating with one specific person, right? I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but you could sort of communicate with anyone who is on the same station. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So, I mean, this is before we talk about CB radio, which was pretty free, free-flowing and how you did it. But to use these radios that operated on essentially a military band – yeah, you had to use a certain amount of strict protocol and you could definitely talk to everybody once. It was in some ways a bit like a chat chat room. And then you could, you know, direct radio traffic to a specific individual, either using their course or handle by, by sort of like switching to a specific channel that they might be on. Again, this is before the days where you could use a computer to do anything other than play computer games at home, really. 
so it, it, to, to be able to talk to people in real time was um, a surprising amount of fun. And I think that mobile mobile phones, as you rightly point out, you use to speak to one person. So, so it's a little bit less flexible in in that you could, you know, if you had something important to say, you could broadcast it to the entire network and everybody would hear it. But of course, you just pick up a phone and have a conversation in the same way that we're doing now across the Atlantic using this um, the podcasting system. So, yeah, it, it was just it was just very different. These radios were somehow it was sort of for me and my fellow air cadets that enjoyed using them. It was somehow fun and special because it wasn't an everyday item that everybody had access to. And shortwave radios were even more cool um, because they had a much greater range. So our VHF radios operated essentially, you know, to the horizon and that was about it. But the shortwave radios actually have a significantly greater range. Now, it's important to note that there isn't really an official definition of shortwave radio per se, but it's the range which includes all of the high frequency band, which extends from three to 30 megahertz. Sorry for those of you who are not quite as nerdy as me. That's the equivalent of a, a radio wave that spans 100 to 10 meters and is above the medium frequency band. And then that goes all the way to the bottom of the VHF band. Any questions, Taryn? Uh, a few. So for those of us who are, if not less nerdy, less technically inclined, can you give me some idea so I can picture the difference? So um, you said the VHF radio was really like from here to the horizon. How much further could shortwaves reach? Was it like one town to the next? Was it much, much further? How 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 far are we talking about? Uh, right. So this is the really interesting and frankly, a little bit nerdy bit. But radio waves in the shortwave band actually can get reflected back from the layer of electrically charged atoms in the atmosphere called the ionosphere. And therefore, if you direct the radio waves at an angle to the sky, they can be reflected back to Earth well beyond the horizon. And this is called sky wave or skip propagation. You sort of skip this massive amount of space. And so shortwave radios could be used for communication over incredibly long distances, hundreds if not thousands of, of miles. And people did talk to um, people on the other side of the of the world. And, um, you know, shortwave radio operators would also pass messages along if they couldn't get a signal all the way to where they wanted them to go. That I understand the appeal of. It seems like there, there are a lot more different things you could do with the shortwave radio than you could with previous iterations. Is that fair? Yeah. I mean, and this is why the BBC, of course, used it for its uh, world service, which was really, you know, brought the BBC's news and broadcasting literally to the world, you know, and, and since it started, what the day, let's say 1932, those were the days of empire. So, you know, British citizens in empire outposts would get it, but but really it provides a service to to everybody. And there are still a, a lot of people across the world who who listen to this, as I, as I mentioned at the beginning, you know, the shortwave radio is being used now to, to broadcast accurate news to Russia and, and the Ukraine given that other ways of propagating the news are being blocked. It's amazing. Talk about a technology that's found a way to endure. Yeah. And I mean, this really was really interesting technology that we were using in our air training course squadron building. These these were shortwave radios that had been taken from decommissioned bombers that were in service during and just after the, the Second World War. So this wasn't new equipment. They had, you know, the old vaults and things that... Um, also used to exist in the backs of CRT um, cathode ray tube televisions. Um, so if it went wrong, you had to replace these things. Um, and that was also 
quite a lot of fun. But, you know, it, it wasn't like we were using these to talk to Australia. But we could have done if we had really had a need to. But we did talk to people sort of like hundreds of miles away from where we from where we were. In a world where it wasn't possible to do that other than with the telephone, which my recollection is per per call, it was a lot more expensive back in the 1980s than it is now. It, it, it was a it was something that you, most people didn't have any experience of. Right, They're, everybody else was receiving information either over the radio or the TV, but we were actually transmitting it, which was what I think what made it exciting. And why do you think people weren't making regular calls to Australia or the US? Do you think it was just that nobody thought to do it, or it was sort of a you know people had better things to do, or or was it? Did it have to do with maybe the quality of the the broadcast? Oh yeah. So I mean, I think I think what I, what I meant to say was that we, me personally, we weren't making those types of calls, but there were people, um, and in fact, there still are people in the UK who are, are using shortwave radio to to talk to people on the other side of the world. You know, that was something which nobody could do. And I think that when I was a kid, you would see to TV programs and documentaries about this. They would arrange for these people to meet after 15, 20 years of constant communication they would actually these tv programs would bring these people together and it was always very touching because they never these they never expected to meet because of the cost involved in flying and the difficulty of doing it back in the 19 the 1980s these friendships were real in the same way i guess that you know pen pal friendships were were real i think which we, we, we talk about in a, another episode as, as well you know i i never had a pen pal because i wasn't very good at remembering to write letters but i'm sure you were much better uh, I would like to say yes, but probably not not much. Right. But, you know, if I had the technology in front of me, if I was actually using a piece of kit to do this, I was all over it. So it, it was just a different experience. But it, we talked, you know, I think this, this topic came up when we were talking about the people who had to put all that work into the early internet message boards, which were completely self-supported and required a lot of expensive equipment and time. So there was this fundamental need to communicate with one another and this was the probably the first high tech, relatively high tech means of doing that. Before this, it probably was just writing letters to people. A big step forward. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then the arrival of CB radio, citizen band radios, were was was a sort of another burst of activity in in the UK, particularly. CB radios were very different, much cheaper and easier to to buy. And they became popular in the UK after the 1975 pop hit Convoy by C.W. McCall. And I would imagine that many people who are listening to this have not heard that song, in which case you have missed out on Rubber Duck and you should definitely try and listen to it. I'm sure it's on your favourite streaming service. Um, and that song was on the radio literally all the time. I found out, again, whilst preparing the, this this podcast, that the Citizen Band Radio became popular in the the US because of the energy crisis in the early 1970s and it allowed truckers to tell one another where there were uh, diesel or gas for their trucks was available and also share information about you know police traffic stops and whatever and that was essentially the um, the the plot of the movie that was made because of the song not the other way around now I think that you probably did have some experience with citizen band radios when you were a kid right I did, yes. I can't claim that that was before my time. I think two things made it. I, I think a lot of people in the US had experiences with this. I think if you talk to somebody who's even a little bit older than me, certainly my parents' age, they would have a lot more stories about how this played you know, a central role 
in their lives, maybe even to the extent that AOL Instant Messenger played in mine, maybe not quite that much, but very quickly it it fell off, which actually would be a, an interesting episode to explore separately. But I think, you know, the U.S. has a culture of road trips. It is just something that we all grew up doing. And I think spe- especially people who grew up in the Midwest, you know, here, I feel like if we drive here in the United Kingdom, if we drive three hours, that's a that's a long drive. That's a that's a big drive. It's a big drive to do in one day. You know, growing up, we would drive from Wisconsin to Florida, which is something like twenty four hours. Not all the way straight through, but sometimes straight through. And it was that that wasn't unusual. We weren't the only ones doing it. It was long road trips were just sort of a part of what we were doing. And so, CB radios during a time when cell phones were not even a dream were were really important. And I, you know, I can remember being in the car as a kid and. Not so much about, you know, where you could buy petrol or gas, but, you know, if the road was flooded or if there was a big storm or if there was an accident or if there were police cars monitoring or giving tickets, you know, there are all kinds of, of uses. And, and I do have some really funny, interesting memories of this. And I think it's always made me, you know, have warm feelings about truck drivers in probably weird ways. But I think listening to them, you know, have each other's backs on these radios and and looking out for other cars too, it was a really nice community. Now, I should say also they made a horror movie about this, um, I think when I was a teenager, um, that was really, really disturbing. And I don't remember exactly how CB radio is tied in, but you can imagine that while there's a, this very light side and very helpful and very, you know, solid community, there is another side to some of these things too. Yeah. I mean, isn't that true of everything, including the internet? There is this fun side that brings people together and forges communities. And then there is the dark side. I mean, it says, I think, a lot about human nature rather than technology. That's true. I mean, I would say the difference is back then, no one was profiting based on other people's bad behavior. So nobody was motivated to encourage it or to look the other way, at least in the US. How about in the UK? Was this something that people were using in the UK during that same period? So, so that's really interesting. And I and I, um, I was definitely um, around when um, social media burst into the, the UK's collective consciousness. So in the beginning, it was illegal to have citizen band radio. I mean, it in the same way that the government regulates how cell phone networks and what frequency bands they can operate on, it also regulates what radios so frequencies can be used. And they had not freed up frequency bands for CB radio. So you could buy these things freely. You could buy them from catalogs. You could buy them from you know the equivalent of Radio Shack. But um, you weren't actually supposed to operate them. And of course, everybody did. Um, and... <laughs> I mean, once a certain number of people do it, it becomes almost impossible to enforce the law. Like, you just don't have enough people to go around and do it, you know? And there was a lot of public pressure. There were demonstrations, and um, the government finally gave in to, uh, to to sort of, like, that public pressure and allowed citizens man radios to be used. And the equipment was just uh, significantly cheaper than um, the equipment you needed to do shortwave radio, and the aerials didn't have to be big. Um, you know, you'd see shortwave radio towers that were meters and meters high in people's back gardens. These things were, you know, that you could do it from an area you could stick on the top of your car with a magnetic clamp. So really much, much simpler in scale. And and uh, I didn't use CB radio, but I do remember that a number of families on our street did. And um, um, 
this is the these are the days when everybody listens to radio and TV over the air, right? There wasn't any streaming service, and unfortunately, some of the CB transmissions interrupted the or interfered with the um, the over the air TV signal, which was quite annoying for people's neighbours. And uh, you know, it was those rabbit ear sort of aerials that you would have on top of the the TV and. Man would make you go and move them if the signal wasn't so good and you couldn't see the picture. Maybe I'm just talking to myself now and you don't remember that because it was so long ago. But but interestingly, they also impacted remote-controlled vehicles, uh, another relatively nerdy community, and I can say that because I had a remote-controlled car. And if you had a car or a boat, it wasn't much of a problem. But if you had an aircraft, not only were the models themselves <laughs> really expensive, you could actually hurt people if you lost control of them and they crashed out the uh, the sky, right? And so that did that did happen, and, and and there were there were some sort of like conflicts between these these communities because of that. It was relatively uh, relatively cheap, you know. It cost about fifteen pounds back in the day to get a CB license, which is approximately fifty seven pounds today. With the cost of living crisis, that's not chump change, but it's also not a, a ridiculous amount of money. Um, and you know, whereas to use shortwave radio, you had to sort of follow protocols and so on and so forth. You didn't, obviously, with CB radio, and people adopted a lot of the terminology that the US and the trucker community had developed to to talk on on CB. So, as as we've sort of like been a common theme through these um, podcasts, people love to reach out and have conversation. And I do remember one sort of like conversation between my mother and her friends who sort of like got spoke sort of conspiratorially and and sort of like in that way where, where you're not supposed to pay attention to them but as soon as they do that your parents do that you automatically listen to it because you know something good is being discussed yeah i mean like telegraph the fact that you're having a conversation uh, you know they, they were talking about how one of the one of the one of the neighbors was using the cb radio to to meet men this was of course scandalous but also demonstrates, just like the internet, that meeting people and getting together um, is is just fundamental to human nature. We're just social animals, and we'll use any kind of technology we can to to do it. You know, whether it's the the language of the fans or you know a mobile phone and social media, we're going to reach out and connect with other people. It's just a fundamental human drive. Given the people using CB radios to meet members of the opposite sex, we shouldn't be surprised that as soon as um, the uh, the internet was capable of it, we started to see the rise of dating apps on on social media. Absolutely, uh, right. And before dating apps, there were chat rooms, um, which you know, lots of lots of fun stories about that coming up. Um, and in fact, in our next series, we'll start to look at some of the earliest social media networks, or at least attempts to socialize using the early internet. In the meantime, we'll post a transcript of this episode with references on our website. You can find this and more information about us at thebrightapp.com. And if you'd like to take a deeper dive into the history of social media, check out our other episodes along these same lines. Until next time, I'm Stephen Jones. And I'm Taryn Ward. Thank you for joining us for Breaking the Feed, social media beyond the headlines. <laughs>